All right, guys. We're going to break open the word here in a minute, but uh, let's go to the Lord first and ask him to uh, teach us and instruct us uh, and give us exactly what we need tonight. All right. Father, we thank you for another week. These weeks fly by. Uh, when we were kids, it, it was, gosh, a long time from the start of a week to the end of a week. Sometimes when you're in school and you're young, those weeks seem to be three weeks each week. And now these weeks come about every two to three days. Just amazing how fast life is going by. And because it is so fast, and because there's so much going on, and because we have uh, so many responsibilities, and because we're pulled in so many directions, it's very, very easy to get off center for any of us. Um, that's such a great temptation. I, I would pray for every guy in this room that tonight... Well, first of all, Lord, we wouldn't be here if we didn't want to be on center. And as these guys have taken time out of their schedule and uh, made this a priority and, and there's so many other things that, that they could be doing, Lord, we, were, we would ask that you would center us and uh, recalibrate us, uh, that you would give us perspective tonight because inevitably we've lost perspective in certain areas of our lives uh, just because the pull is so great. Uh, so we're, we're asking for perspective. We're asking for wisdom, which you promised to give to us. Lord, we're studying these dead kings because uh, you have put their bios in your word because their lives are chock full of lessons for those of us who are alive today. Uh, these guys made some good moves, and most of them made some bad moves. As, as we're asking you to center us and to recalibrate us, uh, we pray, Lord, that you will, um, you will make the lessons and principles from these men come alive, that we can't miss it, uh, that they'll be uh, highlighted in yellow and uh, circled in red, so that the truth, which uh, we so desperately need, uh, we will not miss. We are grateful that we can pray to you and know that you hear us. This is just not an exercise. We're just not bowing on a floor and kneeling in some direction. Uh, to some place, but we are um, in the very holy of holies, and we have access through the blood of Jesus. Uh, we, we will never get over that fact. And we are amazed that you listen, and you're not distracted by other people or other things. You hear us, and you know where we are, and you know the pressures and the concerns that we each carry tonight. So, Lord, again, we ask you to give us, each man, precisely what we need. Thank you that your word um, is the remedy for whatever ails us tonight. 
you said if we abide in your word, um, then we are truly disciples of yours. And we shall know the truth, and the truth shall make us free. We count on that tonight, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is uh, Old Testament History 201. We're glad you're here again tonight. Uh, and that's really what it is. We're doing Old Testament history as we go through the lives of these different kings. Uh, the last two weeks, we have been looking at Jehoshaphat, qu quite an interesting guy, a guy who was one of the good guys, one of the good kings, uh, had some missteps, uh, had some things he'd probably like to take back, just as you do and I do. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at his son, who succeeded him and who followed him. Uh, as I've been working on this this week, um, there's, there's something that keeps rolling around in my mind, and it's basically this, is that you don't want to get close to rotten. You know what I mean by that? Uh, your wife ever bag, buy a bag of fruit or something, and you know it's been around for a while, and you get down to the bottom, and you pull, you pull an apple out, and it's just, it's just rotten. You know? Well, you don't, want to get, you don't want to touch it. You don't want to get close to it. You don't want to get next to it. That's a great principle for life. Because not only is there rotten fruit, but there are rotten people who believe rotten things and who practice rotten things. Another word for rotten would be wicked. Another word for rotten would be evil. Another word for rotten would be sin. Um, there's plenty of that in the lives of these kings. Uh, if you recall, if you've been here with us in this study, uh, after Solomon, the kingdom broke in two. You had the northern kingdom, which was Israel. Southern kingdom was Judah. All the kings of the north, all of them, followed the model of Jeroboam, and Jeroboam was rotten. Uh, set up calves for Israel to worship. And all the kings that followed him, all the other 19 that followed him, were rotten. Uh, the south did a little bit better, uh, but not much better. Uh, Jehoshaphat was one of the good ones, but he had a flaw because he got next to rotten. And uh, it did some real damage. And we're going to see the damage that it did as we look at his son tonight. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles 21. <clears throat> this, um, this study to me, is, it's just quite frankly, it's just fascinating. Because you see, when you can look at a man's life and see the choices that he makes, a lot of, see, we make choices every day, don't we? We made choices today. We made decisions today. We... Uh, or we're pondering decisions. Some might be major. Some you might put in the medium in terms of strategic importance sense. But uh, you've made decisions and you're pondering decisions. These guys made decisions. Uh, what we're doing is um, down the road, a couple thousand years, we're looking at their decisions in light of history. Uh, it's possible that when you're dead and gone, your kids will be looking at your decisions, and your grandchildren will be looking at your decisions. Uh, so often, when we make decisions and when we make choices, 
we only make them in the, uh, in the context of the immediate. And I think where men get in trouble, where anybody gets in trouble, is that when we make a decision without thinking about the long-term consequences of the decision. Because every decision and every choice has a consequence. Uh, it can be positive, it can be negative. In 2 Chronicles 21, we see a transition that occurs. Uh, 21.1, Then Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, became king in his place. And he had brothers. That's a good thing, isn't it? How many of you guys have brothers? That's great. You know, when you grow up, you knock the tar out of each other, can't stand each other, you know, you're beating, you know, kicking the sand in the face, and, you know, yelling, screaming at each other. And then, but let somebody pick on your brother. And what happens? Amen. Brothers are tight. Brothers look out for each other. Uh, I went to uh, my high school. It was right across the street from my uh, little brother. Some of you guys know my, little, my littlest brother, Jeff. And uh, Jeff went to junior high, middle school, right across the street. And I remember uh, school was out. I was getting my stuff in my locker, and I'm walking out, and here comes Jeff running across the street. And he said, Steve. He said, this guy's going to beat me up, this guy, and, 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 this, and, and, and this guy runs on the school bus. And, and he'd, in fact, I think he'd actually hit Jeff. And this guy jumps on this school bus. So I dropped my books, and I got right on the bus with him. And uh, we had a Bible study. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The bus driver saw what was going on. He, you know, he said, all right, boys, that's, you know, that's it. But as I recall, the night before, Jeff and I had a big fight. We couldn't stand that little jerk, you know? But you let somebody miss with your brother. Oh, that's a whole different deal, isn't it? That's the way it ought to be in families. Brothers look out. You know, you have your internal squabbles. But, man, I'll tell you, families look out for each other. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's not what happened here. This is a tragic story. And he had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azari <laughs> this is Azar Yahoo, sounds like an internet company, <laughs> Michael, and Chef Athiah. Chef Athiah, rather. Now catch these. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. These were the brothers. And their father gave them many gifts of silver, gold, and precious things. Why? Because he loved his boys. You have, how many of you guys have sons? Aren't you blessed to have those boys? And you're blessed to have girls. But there's, it's, it, for a father to have a son is a special thing because there's a bond that's just, you know. And we got to be careful because we love them so much that we don't spoil them. Well, you know, he spoiled these kids. Look at this. He gave them many gifts of silver, gold, precious things, with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now, when Jehoram had taken over the kingdom of his father and made himself secure, he killed all his brothers with the sword, and some of the rulers of Israel also. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned um, eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Now, what's significant about that, it doesn't say he walked in the ways of the king of Judah, because the king of Judah was his father, Jehoshaphat, who was one of the good kings 
of Judah. He made some mistakes, and we're going to mention his mistakes. But overall, he was a good king. And as we saw last week, one of the reasons he was a good king is that he was very, very careful that the law was taught in the nation. And he was very careful that judges were appointed who were godly judges who had the fear of the Lord and who would rule without partiality and would rule according to the word of God so that justice could rule and reign in the land and God would be honored. So his father was a, was a good man in the sense that he made sure the word of God was spread throughout the nation. And justice was a part of the nation. But he didn't follow in the way of his father, king of Judah. It says in 6, he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Those were the guys up north. Those were the guys that were all rotten apples. Those were the guys that were all wicked, that were all evil, that were all sinful. He walked in their ways instead of the ways of his father. It says, just as the house of Ahab did, for Ahab's daughter was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David, which he was a part of, you see, um, because of the covenant which he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. Uh, so God didn't destroy this guy because of the covenant God had made with David, because this was one of David's great, great, I don't know the exact sequence because I haven't thought it through, but great, great grandson at this point. Is on, the, is on the throne. This guy's a bad apple. Um, you ever read Sherlock Holmes? Um, always enjoyed reading those Sherlock Holmes stories. And he'd walk into situations that were just baffling. And he'd walk in with his assistant, Watson. And, and Watson uh, didn't have a clue. Could, couldn't put it together. And, and Watson was basically the straight man and uh, was constantly befuddled by what he saw and was constantly amazed at by what um, Sherlock Holmes could unravel uh, from, from seemingly no clues. Uh, I think if uh, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was the writer of the Sherlock Holmes stories, were to write this one, he might call it the mystery of the murdered brothers. Uh, this is a wicked thing to do. This is an ungodly thing to do, to have brothers. These boys grew up together. They played with each other. Uh, for, for the oldest to murder the other six is a heinous thing. How in the world did it ever get to this point? Uh, is that something that can be unraveled? Uh, you know the phrase that Sherlock Holmes would always say to Dr. Watson, he would say, elementary, elementary. Uh, there, there, I, I, as I look at this, quite frankly, you say, how, how in the world does this happen? Well, it's pretty elementary because some basic biblical principles were violated consistently by a number of people who were players in this story. To, to understand the story of Jehoram, this king, you got to back up. Uh, you got to pull the camera back. Uh, you, you, you don't you don't zoom in. You back up. You get the wide view. You get the wide shot because in this in this case of the murdered brothers, there are some key players, 
And let me outline them for you. The first one is obviously Jehoram. Um, he, he's responsible. It was his choice. Uh, he was the one who did this. Each of these key players that I want to give to you tonight and I want to mention to you, they all contributed to what happened here in this great tragedy. Now, Jehoram was responsible. He's the guy who pulled the trigger. He's the guy that pulled out the sword. But there were influences in his life. And as you pull back and look at the bigger situation, because there's always a context, there was a family issue here. There were biblical issues here that were violated, grossly violated. Uh, this guy got close to rotten, and he wasn't the only one that got close to rotten. Rotten was put up with. Rotten was uh, overlooked. And quite frankly, rotten, wickedness, evil, was even encouraged. Uh, Jehoram is the first key player. Here's what Jehoram did. Uh, <clears throat> he sold out his brothers for power. Um, he just sold them out. It, it's been said that every man has his price. You know, different men go after different things. So, some men, the most important thing in their lives is power. Power. They, they will sacrifice anything um, because power to them is, is, is the ultimate. Power is, is the drug. Power is the place of, of complete fulfillment and control. Um, that's what was behind this. This guy sold out his brothers, sold out his family um, for power. Let, let's, let's leave Jehoram for a minute. Let's go to his father, all right? Now, you say, well, we've looked at his father the last two weeks. Yeah, I know. But this guy gets a lot of print in Scripture because there's a lot to be gleaned from his life. So the second key player in this story of Jehoram. See, whenever you want to know the story of a man, you also have to know the story of his father. I think I've mentioned this. I know I've mentioned it in this group before. Um, but a number of years ago, remember when Lee Iacocca was the hottest thing going? He turned, uh, he turned Chrysler around after a great career at Ford, the father of the Mustang, that whole deal. Uh, you, you know, he was running the Olympic Committee. He was doing, they, running for, pre, you know, the whole thing. I mean, this guy, and he came out with his biography. And I remember when I opened up his biography, you know, this, this, guy, this guy is the most successful American going. Great American hero, you know. Paid the government loan back early. I open up his biography, Lee Iacocca's biography, and the very first words of his biography said this, Nicholas Iacocca, my father. The first words. Because in order to understand the story of Lee Iacocca, you, you begin not with Lee Iacocca, you begin with his father. That's true in your life, it's true in my life. Our fathers have all had significant impact uh, in our lives, either for good or, or, or for bad. Some of you guys are working real hard uh, not to live as your father lived because he didn't set a good example. Uh, he hurt you. He hurt family members. Um, he, uh, I, I was, uh, two weeks ago, I, I was speaking in California. And before I got up to speak at this men's deal at Forest Home, they had a guy get up and give a testimony. A guy who was a graduate of Dallas Seminary, who was a counselor in Southern California. 
and he just told his story and that he he grew up as a Mormon in Utah and he remembered as a little boy hearing the screams of his mother almost every night as flesh would hit flesh and as a little boy he would put the pillow over his ears to drown out the the sounds of violence and her screams and as a little boy the first thing he would do is get up in the morning and after he'd make sure his father was was still asleep you know sleeping off his drunk and then he would go find his mother to make, to see if she was still alive can you imagine that what a horrible way to live and then as he said mercifully his dad left a few years later and he never saw his dad never heard from his dad and then he came to know Christ and about a month before he graduated from Dallas seminary he got a letter. His dad had resurfaced through his sister. Um, he'd contacted the sister. She'd given uh, her father his address in Dallas. And the father wrote a letter and said, uh, I, I don't know if you could find it in your heart to forgive me. I'm so sorry for what I did. But uh, recently, Jesus Christ came into my life. And... Uh, He's changed my life and forgiven me. And I was writing to you to see if you might forgive me. One of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard. He in turn invited his father to come to Dallas. I think I told you guys this story. And his dad came for his graduation from Dallas Seminary. They had about two days together. His dad got back on the bus, went home, and died. Isn't that something? Um... He was able to get closure with his dad. But he had spent 35 years of his life, every day of his life, making sure he did not live like his father. Now, some of you guys, it's the opposite. Your dads, your dads were on your team, and you knew it, and they showed you how to be a man. And Yeah, they were flawed, but I'll tell you what, you were sure fortunate to have him as a father. You see, fathers impact sons. Uh, it, it, to understand you, you've got to understand who your dad is. So, we're talking about Jehoram. Let's back up and talk about Jehoshaphat. Because, you see, Jehoram, what we're going to see, all these people, these key players, they all sold out. They just sold out to different things. Uh, Jehoram sells out his brothers for power. What about his dad? Jehoshaphat sold out for peace. If you were here when we studied his life, what this guy wanted was he wanted peace. And he wanted peace with the northern kingdom. Now, who was up in the northern kingdom? It was Ahab. Uh, but Jehoshaphat, with, with his love of the scriptures, with his emphasis on people knowing the word of God, uh, he wanted peace so badly he could taste it that, that the desire for peace blinded him to the realities of what he was really encountering. Um, I've been reading this week um, about Neville Chamberlain, the prime minister who was the great appeaser of Hitler. And as Hitler uh, was, was building his army and the intelligence was coming in, uh, Chamberlain was, was blinded. And even as Hitler began to roll over nation after nation after nation, and, and they had this relationship, and Hitler would, 
would quite frankly just deceive him and lie to him. This guy had no ability to discern. And, and basically, what Chamberlain did, the, the key thing that was the great humiliation for Britain, because you see, Britain didn't want to go to war in World War II, because they still had the fresh memory of a generation of young men that had been wiped out in World War I. They had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of young men that were slaughtered. They didn't want to do that again. But the great humiliation was when Chamberlain sold out Czechoslovakia to Hitler. It, and, and the whole nation was shamed. They were shamed. That's what began to turn the tide, you see. Uh, Chamberlain, what he did with Hitler, is precisely what Jehoshaphat did with Ahab. Because Ahab was in the same league as Hitler. This guy was wicked. This guy was evil. This king of the north. But for some reason, Jehoshaphat wanted to make peace with him. Um, so then that takes us to Ahab, who's the next key player. And we talked about him last week. But he's worth looking at again. Because, you see, he plays into this picture. Uh, and once again, the principle is this, guys. We're making decisions. We're making choices. Some of you guys are thinking about selling out. Maybe legitimately. Maybe you've got a company. Or maybe you're starting a company. Maybe you're starting a business. Well, let me ask you this. Who are you going to team up with? You know, that's a huge choice, and that's a huge decision. Because if, if you're looking at getting into a situation that's a 50-50 relationship, you want to be real smart, and you want to be real careful who it is that you get in harness with. Because... If you, if you get close to rotten, it's going to get all over you. That slime, that smell, uh, that, uh, that erosion of what's good is going to taint you and haunt you, and you're in harness, and you can't get out, you see. Let's go back to Ahab. Who was Ahab? Well, he was, uh, he was a bad guy. Go to 1 Kings, if you would. Flip over to your left. Let's go to 1 Kings uh, 16. And we get the description of this guy, beginning with uh, verse 29 of 1 Kings 16. It says, Now, and his father's name was Omri, who was a wicked king. But Ahab outwicketed his own father. Okay? Verse 29 of 1 Kings 16. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That's really saying something. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Remember the first king of the north? The guy who set up calf worship? as though it had been a trivial thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. Um, so not only did he follow the, the model and the example of Jeroboam, but he goes even further and he marries this Sidonian witch, which is what she was, a Baal worshipper by the name of Jezebel. Um, We'll get to her in a minute, because she's the next key player. But let's camp on Ahab for a minute. Um, <clears throat> what was Ahab's deal? Uh, he knew about God. 
He he knew about he, he knew his biblical history. He knew the truth, yet he was not interested in the truth. Uh, and, and he outdid in wickedness and in rottenness all the kings that were before him. Now, now you got to understand something. This guy had a biblical heritage. This guy knew about God. He knew about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He knew about Moses. He knew about David. This guy knew the truth. This guy wasn't some pagan somewhere in a remote part of the earth. This guy knew the very oracles of God because he was a Jew. But he had absolutely no interest in following the God of Israel. He had absolutely no interest in doing what was right and in honoring his creator. <clears throat> Stephen Charnock, in his book, The Existence and Attributes of God, has a chapter that's called On Practical Atheism. It's great. He, uh, I visited his church in London. He uh, pastored, he and Thomas Watson pastored together. And uh, I had a chance to go to their church. You can still visit St. Stephen's at Walbrook in London. It burned down right after they were there in the great fire of uh, 1666, but they immediately rebuilt it. And you can, their names are on the plaque there. But um, he describes Ahab to a T. So how does a guy who knows the truth about God, like Ahab knew it, how, how, did, he, how did he get into all this stuff? This is great. <clears throat> he, um, one of his main headings here on practical atheism, here's his principle. Man would set himself up as his own rule instead of God. That's the big main heading. Man would set himself up as his own rule instead of God. And then under that, he has four points. Number one, man naturally disowns the rule that God sets before him. That's number one. And we'd all agree with that because we've done that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here's number two. He owns any other rule rather than that that the one God has set down. See, that's how we are in our hearts. Here's number three. These he does in order to the setting up of himself as his own rule. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. You see? And then number four. He makes himself not only his own rule, but he would make himself the rule of God and give laws to his creator. That was Ahab. <clears throat> you guys remember the Ten Commandments? You've heard of those, haven't you? Um, they used to be recognized in this country. The first commandment says that you shall have no other gods before me. Ahab wasn't going to do that. Because in essence, what Ahab, how did, how did this guy get all screwed up? His whole life was about putting, he had a God before God. You know who the God was? It was him. He, he became a Baal worshiper, but quite frankly, Baal wasn't his real God. That was a cover because his real God was himself. Now, nothing has changed, you see. The, the God of choice in our culture is self. Guys ruin their lives and make bad, rotten decisions trying to please themselves and honor themselves and set themselves up as God. So the issue is still the same, although we're separated by 3,000 years. Uh, this guy made some bad choices. 
not only was he rotten to begin with, but he went out and found rotten. Uh, worse than he was. He went and married Jezebel, who was a Baal worshiper. What's her father's name? F. Baal. That means with Baal. Um, and I went over Baal worship last week and talked about what it was. And basically, we still got Baal worship today because the principles are the same. Uh, Baal, Baal worshipers are, are pro-environment. They worship the environment. Baal worshipers are, are pro-choice. They're into killing children. Uh, they sacrifice children. We abort them. Uh, and can you believe that we finally got this partial birth abortion thing passed? And here's Barbara Boxer talking about the health of the, the, health of the mother. My gosh. These people, I, I, it's, just, it's just beyond belief. You know, that woman, is got, she's drenched in the blood of Jezebel. That's, that's just what's happening here. You see? And whoever else is standing with her, they're covered in the blood of these babies. See, this stuff, isn't it amazing? This stuff is just, it's as alive today as it was back then. Thanks, Luke. Maybe that double cheeseburger next time. <laughs> Thanks so much. I mean, is it not amazing how relevant this stuff is? It's just what we're dealing with. Last week, we talked about the courts. You see? I mean, whatever, whatever goes around comes around. Okay. Let's see, did I, did I milk Ahab for all I had? No, I didn't. What did Ahab do? See, I get off on Jezebel because she's just unbelievable. Um, look at verse 33. Uh, 32. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Uh, Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings were before him. Once again, quite a statement. Um, you, you, know what, you know what Ahab did? Ahab, in fact, the scripture says this. He sold out too. In fact, turn over to 1 Kings 21. You'll see this. What did he sell out? 1 Kings 21 verse uh, says it twice. Verse 20, and Ahab sa said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And Elijah answered him, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Then look down at verse uh, 25. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now this is interesting because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. So, so what did this guy do? He, sold, he just flat sold out for evil. Now he was well on his way before she came into the scene, but she surely didn't help. But see, once again, what did, he was rotten and he was attracted to rotten. See, we're making alliances all the You know, some of you guys, you've got kids that are um, single. You've got daughters. You've got sons. And uh, potentially they could be married here in the next few years. Have, have you talked to your children? Do they understand the importance of making careful decisions as to the character of the person that they're committing to in marriage. First thing right out of the blocks is, is that a Christian doesn't marry a non-Christian. I mean, that's, that's throughout the New Testament. Uh, we, 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 we don't join with unbelievers. Uh, the, the scripture is absolutely clear on that. Uh, 
the, the issue is your, your sons need to be taught to get past uh, the beauty. Because, because the beauty, if they're just, if they're just, if the beauty hooks them, they're dead. Because they're going to get deflected from what's really under the beauty. And as you know so well, some of the most beautiful women in the world have been married five, six, seven, eight times. There's got to be more than just beauty. There's got to be more than a great body. It's character. It's heart. It's internal. See, those are significant alliances, and it's our job as fathers to help steer our children. And you know what's interesting is that sometimes they get emotionally involved, and they get emotionally hooked, and they don't want to hear what you have to say. And it can get very delicate, can't it? So what do you do there? You need great wisdom from God. Great wisdom to know what to say and when to say it. But may I say this to you? There will probably be a time before that thing is finalized where you better step in and say what needs to be said if there are significant glaring issues. You say, well, it might cost us the relationship. If you don't, it's going to cost something a lot more down the road. But you need great wisdom, and you need God to navigate you through that. Um, that's our job as fathers. See, there you can't be passive. There you've got to step in and lead under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And it's not your wife's job. That's your job. You're the man. You're the leader of the family. You're the spiritual pace setter. You see? Isn't that great that God's giving you that position? Don't you love it? It's a, it's a, you know what it is? It's the greatest privilege in the world. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? That son, that daughter, they know down deep. They may not want to hear what you've got to say, but they know, they know you love them. And you tell them that. You, and what you have to, which at, at that point, which will be so tender if it comes up and so sensitive, and it's got to be the right time, like apples of gold and settings of silver, is a word spoken in right circumstances, Proverbs says. It has to be the right word at the right time. See, well, so how do I know in that? Well, God will show you. He'll give you an opening um, that you won't be able to miss. And when it's right, you walk through it. Um, and they may not want to hear it, but they'll know it's coming from down deep. And it's because you love them, because you care for them. You see, dysfunctional families don't do that kind of stuff. Maybe you came from a dysfunctional family. Maybe your dad didn't help you in those things. Maybe your family just, you, you, change, you know what, you change that. You step in there and be a man. Say, oh, see, I, never, I don't know how to do that. Well, who, does, who knows how to do it? See, that's where the Lord will walk with you. He'll show you exactly what to do. I think I milked this guy for about as much as I want to do right now. I'd like to go after him some more, but clock's running. And, and I really want to get to Jezebel to do a number on her. It's really important that we do that because, I mean, this woman, this woman was wicked. Um, the, the final thing I'll say about, uh, about Ahab, the tragedy of his life, is the passage in Mark 8.36, so what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? <clears throat> I don't remember the name of this movie. But years ago, on a Saturday afternoon, when I was in college, I was home for the holidays. 
and I'm watching this old movie, and it had, I think it was a Frank Capra movie, and it had a moral to it, and this man had sacrificed his life for all this stuff, and at the end of the movie, just before it said the end, up on the screen came Mark 8, 36. What shall it profit a man? Can you believe that? How things have changed. He sold out to evil. Now, here's the next key player. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the case of the murdered brothers. An unbelievable tragedy. Who's the next key player? Well, it's Ahab's wife, who was, who was Jezebel. Now, everybody else is sold out. What about her? Well, let's just lay it on the line. She sold out to Satan, lock, stock, and barrel. This is one wicked woman. J. Vernon McGee, what a piece of work, huh? Boy, he'd lay it out, wouldn't he? Have you ever heard him on the radio? Pastored Church of the Open Door in Los Angeles for years and years and years. Um, he had a youth pastor there, a guy that, he had an intern, young intern from Dallas Seminary named Ray Stedman. <clears throat> and then Ray went and started a church up in Palo Alto, Peninsula Bible Church, and then, uh, oh, some years down the line, another guy graduated from Dallas Seminary, came up there, some real green kid, came up and interned with him, some guy named Swindler. Uh, what was his name? Swindall. He came up and interned under, uh, under Ray Stedman. Kind of funny to see the sequence, isn't it? J. Vernon McGee got Ray Stedman, you got Chuck. It's kind of interesting. Here's what old J. Vernon McGee had to say about Jezebel. This is great. I love this. <clears throat> he says, Jezebel. A masculine woman with strong intellectual powers and a fierce passion for evil. She was strong-willed and possessed a dominant personality, but she had no moral sense. She was hardened into insensibility. She was unscrupulous and the most wicked person in history, bar none. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Uh, you say, those are pretty strong words. Can they be backed up? Well, in Revelation 2.20... Here's what Jesus said to the church at Thyatira. I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. He's talking about the spirit of Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Uh, Ahab was married to Jezebel. Absolutely wicked uh, woman beyond description. Um, she was a Baal worshiper. She, she brought down from Sidonia the prophets of Baal. 400 prophets of Baal ate at their table. They supported them. And as I mentioned last week, this was all about perverse sexuality, Baal worship. And so they had, they had three kinds of prostitutes because they would play out in all their worship services, they would have drama, and they would tell the stories of Baal, the myths of Baal, and they were all sexual. So they had uh, male prostitutes, they had female prostitutes, and they had sodomite prostitutes. And as I said last week, if, if you thought that homosexual act, which was done in, in the name of God, was reprehensible, and you said so, you were, um, you were said to be intolerant and hateful. Isn't that amazing? And in the immortal words of G.K. Chesterton, tolerance is the virtue of people who don't believe in anything. University of Texas at Austin, what a shock. 
and uh, I haven't read the article, but the byline is, absolute religious certainty is dangerous. And he's saying that absolutely. Isn't that something? That's just where we live. Um, so what was so bad about uh, what was so bad about Jezebel? Well, she was a sexual pervert and a sexual deviant. Uh, under her watch, sexual perversion spread throughout the nation with her encouragement. Uh, something else that she was, she was a murderer. Um, if, if you recall the situation uh, where Elijah, and, and, and by the way, remember these kings? There's always a prophet. God's always got a prophet. And so here comes Elijah. And, and Elijah shows up in 1 Kings 16. Would you go back over there if you would? So in verse 16, verse King 16, Elijah just shows up. We've never heard about Elijah before. Boom, he just shows. Actually, it's 1 Kings 17, verse 1. <clears throat> now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be no doer reign these years except by my word. That was it. I mean, the guy shows up. He says there's going to be no rain. Now, I'll tell you why that was a big deal. Because, you see, remember I said Baal worshipers were pro-environment? They worshiped the environment. They thought Baal controlled the rain. They thought he controlled the agricultural seasons, the growing cycle. They, they, so they prayed to Baal. They worshiped Baal, you see. Um, so Elijah shows up and says, Yahweh, let me tell you something. Yahweh owns the environment. He created it. He runs it. And until I say so, I'm a prophet of Yahweh. There will be no rain. And you know what? There was no rain for over three years. Um, so you got this thing going on, and then Elijah takes off because now he's the most hated man and most wanted man, and God takes care of him and provides for him. <clears throat> if you tell the truth and declare the truth, God will take care and provide for you. It's when you start compromising and not telling the truth that you get in trouble. So you tell the truth, you stand up for Christ, and he'll give provision to you as he did for his prophets. You know. Now, they may kill you. But before they do, he'll take care of you and provide for you. You see, And what's the worst they can do? The worst they can do is kill you. Have you ever thought of that through? That's all they can do is kill you, and then they've done you a favor. Right? Because then you're cruising, man. I mean, then you're in good shape. But I don't want to get off, because uh, what, what happens is, is that eventually uh, they have this encounter on Mount Carmel where the prophets of Baal at Elijah's invitation come and meet him, and he says, once for all, let's settle who is God, if it's Baal or if it's God. Uh, you can read that in 1 Kings 18, around verse 19. Now send and gather to me at Israel at Mount Carmel together with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So they all show up, and they call out to Baal to send fire down. They cut themselves. Look at verse 28. So they cried out with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. You guys heard of the Hezbollah? Uh, have you ever seen some of the footage when, uh, on TV, on CNN, when these guys are together? You know what they do? They cut themselves, and they scourge, and they whip themselves. And you know where those guys are from? They're up in Lebanon from the area right around Sidonia. Isn't that interesting? They don't call themselves Baal worshippers now. Now you know it's it's uh, you know Islam and all that, but it's the same stuff and it's the same spirit. Uh, 
So he takes these guys on, and you know the story, and, you know, and he mocks them, you know, because they're trying to call down fire, and, uh, you know, and, and nothing's happening. And in verse 27, he mocked them. He says, call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. Either he's occupied or gone aside. What he means by that is he's in the outhouse is what he's doing. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's over there taking a dump is what he's doing, you know. Don't let your wife hear this tape, okay? <laughs> or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be. So he's just mocking these guys. Then you know what happens. He builds the altar, and they, they bring in his water, and they're just drenching it and drenching. He calls out, kaboom you know, just like that, they go kill those prophets. Big defeat. Chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Catch this. Then Jezebel sent a messenger. Not Ahab. Jezebel. See, here's the deal. Ahab was king. Kings run the country. Uh-uh. You know what God says? The husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. You're the spiritual leader of your family. Um, Ahab was not the leader of his family. He wasn't the leader of the nation. Let me tell you something. She ran him, and she ran the country. Look at verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, so may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So what's she going to do? She's going to kill this guy. Now, he's emotionally wrung out. And here's a great tip, because look at verse 3. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. Now, isn't that interesting? Because just the day before, did you see any fear in Elijah? There was boldness in Elijah. There was great courage. I mean, it's Elijah. It's one against the 400 prophets. I mean, that takes some guts. That takes some courage, doesn't it? But 24 hours later, this woman sends him a message, and suddenly this guy turns into a Pillsbury Doughboy. What happened? Here's what happened. And it can happen to you, and it can happen to me. After great victory, we are all subject to to depression. Because you see, when, when there's a great victory and there's a great high, it's just a natural tendency to drop. And, and see, great emotional energy was expended. Hey, did he exercise courage? Yes, he expended courage. Uh, courage went out of him. Uh, and what happened was there was a great victory, but he didn't realize it, but someone had pulled the drain plug on his courage. Now, that's happened to you, and it's happened to me. You see? So then what happens when we lose courage? Then you know what we need? We need someone to come along and put courage into it. That's what we, there's the word, encourage. What do you do when you encourage? You put courage into somebody. You see? Well, this guy just totally lost it. And so he's on the run because he knew the nature and character of this woman. Now, she made a threat, so he takes off. Uh, now, she didn't get him because God was with him. But if you flip over... You're going to see the real character if you go to 1 Kings chapter 21. You're going to find out the real nature of this woman. <clears throat> now it came about after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, 
and that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's close beside my house, and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. Uh, if you like, I will give you the price of it in money. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he said, I won't give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. He's a real mature guy here. You, you can see that he's a man's man. Um, but Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, How is it your spirit is so sullen and you're not eating food? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'll give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I'll not give you my vineyard. But Jezebel, his, and Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. And I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. And now she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, seat Naboth at the head of the people, and seat two worthless men beside him, and let them testify against him, saying, You, cursed, uh, you curse God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Well, guess what happened? That's exactly what they did. Um, for a piece of land, she took this guy's life, set up false witnesses, got some attorneys, got some files, got some witnesses. Gee, does any of this sound familiar, guy? I mean, it sounds familiar to me, and it sounds familiar to you. Because, you see, that spirit is still alive today. And, 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 and guys, you know... Um, if you know your Bible, then you know history. And when things happen in a nation, you can figure out biblically what's going on, and you won't be, you won't be taken for a ride. Because history, what did Hegel say? History teaches us that men never learn from history. If you know your Bible, who was it that said, a historian is a prophet in reverse? You want to know what's going to happen in the future? Then look to the past. That's why these things are written for our instruction. So was this woman a murderer? She was a murderer. This man was absolutely innocent. Now, do you remember that Jehoshaphat went into battle with Ahab? Do you remember that? Because he got into alliance with him, and Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, you dress up as me. You remember that? And he did it. And the king of Aram said, Whatever, to his army, make sure you take out the king of Israel, which is Ahab. But Jehoshaphat is dressed as Ahab, and they're going to kill him, and he calls out to God, and God saves him. And then the Scripture said, and there was a guy who at random pulled his bow. Well, there is no random, is there? And it struck Ahab, who was in his suit of armor, so he would be invulnerable, and it caught him right there in the vulnerable place, where they don't have armor, but where they've got mesh so that you can move and sit down, and it kind of went there in the, in the gizzard and killed the sucker. You know why that happened? Because of what he did to Naboth. And the dogs were going to lick her blood for what they did to Naboth, and that's exactly what happened. Now, this is sort of like, remember the TV show Dallas? You kind of remember that? Boy, was that ever. <clears throat> that, that's nothing. There should have been a, a show called Samaria or Jezreel because Jezreel was the winter palace. That's where they hung out. This is unbelievable stuff. Now, see, we started off 
we started off by talking about the case of the murdered brothers. See, that's Jehoram. Well, how do we get off in all these other people? All right? You still with me? The reason these people were all key players is, is for this reason, is that Jehoshaphat, who was a godly man who wanted peace, the first thing that he did was that he made an alliance with Ahab and had his son, Jehoram, marry their daughter. <clears throat> that was a bad move. Because do you see the family that he aligned himself with? Do you see, and the stench and the wickedness. Once again, you ever reached in and you ever gotten a rotten pear and that stuff is oozing down your hand and it's just, I, isn't it? See, I'm trying to tell you what it's like. See, and, and you know what, guys? We'll recognize that in the piece of fruit, but do you recognize that in people whose hearts are far away from God? See, that's the deal. See, this is what happened to this guy. They didn't, they didn't recognize the wickedness and the stench in the nostrils of a holy God, and they align themselves, they get themselves in harness. He wanted peace so bad, he sold out. And gets, gets the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So then, you've got Jehoram, who replaces his dad, when his dad dies, and he becomes king. And what does he do? He murders his brothers. Now, I'm telling you, just as... <clears throat> Ahab did evil because Jezebel incited him. That Jehoram did evil because his wife, Athaliah, incited him. Like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. This woman was a Baal worshiper. Now, if someone comes to Christ, old things pass away and there's new life. You're not doomed to repeat the sins of your parents. But she didn't come to the Lord. She, she was of her parents. She was of Baal. She was as wicked to the core as they were. Um, now, let's talk about Elijah for a minute. All right? Because Elijah was sold out to God. That's just the pure truth of it. Uh, now, Elijah was a man just as you're a man and I'm a man. Uh, on one day, he could have great courage and he could have great boldness. And when he was out of gas, a woman could send him a telegram and he heads for the hills. Um, have you ever been shamed by your behavior? When, when you knew what was right to do and you didn't do it? Have you ever had a time in your life where you didn't step up to the plate? I'm sure you have. I have. And man, you wish you could go back and change that, don't you? I think that's what happened with him and Jezebel. But you know what? That, that, he, the guy just lost perspective, and then he got right back in the saddle again. Elijah spoke truth. Elijah told straight the word of God to people who didn't want to hear the word of God. I want to go back to what I said earlier. Uh, I think there are times in the life of a godly man where God will ask you to take a stand and to tell truth and you'll experience heat. Uh, 
the fact of the matter is, guys, is that for 200 years, it's been convenient to be a Christian in this nation. We don't know the first thing about persecution. We don't know the first thing about difficulty. Uh, for, for years, you were honored if you were a Christian. For years, Christianity and a Christian man was held up as the standard. It was the model to which people were attained to, and if you didn't, then you were shamed. But how things have changed so quickly. Uh, I'm thinking of this general that they're all after right now. And why are they after him? Because he stood up and he told the truth. That's why they're after him. Um, I'm thinking of four people that I know that in the last 10 years, these four people all held positions of responsibility in their cities and communities. Uh, one of them was Bob Vernon. Bob Vernon um, was the deputy chief of police in Los Angeles. Had a sterling record. Was a member of John MacArthur's church, Grace Community Church out in Southern California. Great man of God. Uh, Bob's just out. His father was a police officer in Los Angeles. Um, and he was the obvious, clear choice when Daryl Gates stepped down as police chief of Los Angeles. But some council members met with him. In fact, a Jewish council member met with him and basically told him straight up, because of what you believe and what because of what you stand for, you'll never be police chief. I'll do everything I can do to keep you from this position. And it was just a couple days later that on Geraldo's television show, they did a, they did a, a program on Bob Vernon and his radical, fundamentalist, right-wing Christian beliefs. And they got a hold of a tape where Bob had done some teaching, I think up at Mount Hermon, and was teaching a class on fathers and sons and taught some things out of Proverbs on discipline, somebody got a hold of the tape, somebody edited the tape, took things out of context, and to hear it, Bob Vernon was a child abuser, which is as far away from the truth as you could get. He was, at, they, they ruined him, or attempted to, in the city of Los Angeles. And he didn't get the job. You know, it was interesting when the Rodney King deal happened. I was with Bob in Florida at a Christian businessmen's committee meeting. And when the rioting started, Bob had just resigned and was in Florida at the conference. Uh, the rioting started, and I don't even know if I should be saying this and it should be on tape, but I'm saying it. Guess who got the phone call in Florida? Is there any way you could come back? Because we're in trouble, and we need your steady, firm. See, Bob was the watch commander. When, when chaos broke out, when right, that was Bob's deal. He was the guy they trusted to put in charge. He had to resign. They had smeared him, but the first guy they called when the city was in trouble was Bob Vernon. Isn't that amazing? You see, guys, we're going to see this more and more and more. But can I encourage, oh, uh, by the way, Bob Vernon's career was finished. 
You know what Bob's dream had always been? It was to be police chief of Los Angeles. You know what Bob does now? Uh, Bob travels all over the world. He goes to Russia. He goes to China. He goes, to, uh, he goes all over China. You know what he does? They invite Bob in because one of the things these nations are trying to do is that they're trying to learn principles of teaching their law enforcement officers law and morality so that the people will be happy and the people will be set free. So you know what Bob Vernon does now? He said, what I had hoped to do was be police chief of Los Angeles, and God did not allow that to happen. But now what I do is that I go all over the world and I speak to police chiefs about the commander-in-chief and his law and his principles that they can implement in their city and in their culture to the glory of God. Is that not wild? See, they did everything. What did Joseph say to his brothers? You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. I'm just saying, guys, the climate is eroding, isn't it? Do you see that? Elijah got so down one time that he thought he was the only guy left. And God reminded him, I've got 7,000 in Israel. He didn't say in Judah. I've got 7,000 in this northern kingdom who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You know, God's got us. He's got his men and he's got us spread out. You know, we can learn from these guys. We can learn from Jehoshaphat. God bless him. You know who I want to learn from? I want to learn from Elijah. He stood. He told the truth. He was willing to take the heat. And God provided for him. God made a way for him. Uh, you might lose your job at some point for your faith. Uh, you know what? God will take care of you as he took care of Elijah. You remember one time? God fed Elijah with the ravens and by the brook. You remember that? And then what happened to the brook? It dried up. So then, we're, so then what? Now what's he going to do? Now he's really in trouble. Well, see, sometimes what, what God uses to, to provide for you, it will dry up. Maybe your job will dry up, like Bob Vernon's job dried up. Uh, so what God will do is he'll provide. So you know what God did with Elijah? He said there's a widow up in Zarephath. You know where Zarephath is? It's right next to Sidonia. It's right in Baal country. In other words, they were all looking for him in Israel, so guess where God sends him? Sends him to the place they'd never look. You see, they sent him right into the heart of Ahab's family reunion. And there was a widow up there. And she was about ready to have her last meal with her son and die. And Elijah said, oh, that food you were going to give to your son and you were going to eat, would you give it to me? And she did. And that oil... And that flour, for the rest of the famine, it never ran out. You know what happened? The next day, 16 semi-trucks from the UN came in and dropped off all this oil and flour. That's not what happened. Do you think suddenly all this oil and flour came in? That's not what happened. You know what happened? Every time she'd go in to get that oil, see, she'd take oil out. And the next day, she'd come back in, and the level didn't drop. She'd take it out, but it just never dropped. Did she have, what I'm saying to you, did she have a huge surplus? No, but it just never ran out. God takes care of his people. Some of you guys are in a position, you don't have a big surplus. You know what? You don't need a big surplus. You got a big God. You keep standing for him. You keep telling the truth in a culture that doesn't tell the truth. 
You're his guy. What does 2 Chronicles 16.9 say? The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully his, that he may strongly support them. Let's be those men. Let's run from the rotten. Let's embrace the right. God will bless us. Father, thank you for these lives. Some of them are a tragedy. Uh, they, they're, they're a waste. They're a ruin. They, they made themselves gods over you. We're so thankful that you have drawn us to yourself and shown us the truth of Christ and uh, softened our hardened hearts and opened our blind eyes and given us life through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're guys that are just walking through life. We're making choices. We're, um, we're trying to navigate. We're, we're, we're trying to be wise. We're trying to be men that honor you. Give us the wisdom not to sell out. Give us hearts that are sold out to you, just as Elijah's was. Uh, Lord, in the decisions we're making this week, may we be sold out to you. Somebody's going to look at these decisions down the road after we're dead and gone. Someone's going to analyze us like we've analyzed these people. We want to pass the test. We want to we be an example for those who come after us. And, and as the song says, may they find us faithful. By your grace and mercy, we ask these things in Jesus' name.